to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. If you aren't following us on social media, make sure to head to Facebook and Instagram and search for My Collective Church to learn more about what is going on at Collective as we start this new year. Thank you again for listening. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Every night before my girls go to bed, Ray and I will read to them. And this is one of the highlights of our evenings, even though bedtime in our house is typically chaotic and never actually happens at the time we plan it to. And a few nights ago, Elise picked out a book uh, from Daniel Tiger. Now, depending on how old you are, Daniel Tiger might look like this. Uh, Mr. Rogers, it was the puppet. Kind of terrifying. You're laughing because you're like, we saw that as kids and didn't have nightmares. Um, Today, Daniel Tiger looks like this, much better. This is called a glow up, Um, just way friendlier and not as terrifying as our our, our own childhood. Um, And we love Daniel Tiger in our house, Uh, partly because Ray and I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, but also because the lessons that Daniel teaches our children. In this specific book we were reading, there's this moment where Daniel feels mad, so he sings this song. Parents, you probably know what this is. He sings, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. Surprisingly good advice, okay? Uh, probably should have brought that up a few weeks ago when I talked about anger, um, but it's, it's great. And, and, and as we kept reading, this, this thought kind of hit me. What happened? Right? Not, not what happened to Daniel Tiger. What happened when it comes to talking about how we're feeling. Because I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and we'll, we'll watch TV or we'll read these books together, and so many of them talk about our feelings in healthy ways. I mean, think about it. From my own childhood and, and many of yours, you grew up watching Sesame Street or The Muppets or Mr. Rogers. For Gen Z, you watch Blue's Clues and Arthur and Franklin. For kids today, they watch Daniel Tiger, and there's a show called Doc McStuffins. So we grew up watching these shows that encourage us to share how we are feeling, both the good and the bad, and then we were taught how to manage those emotions. And so when did it go from, it's okay to be sad, sometimes, you guys didn't know I was going to sing all day today, little by little, you'll feel better again, right? Another Daniel Tiger. But when did it go from that to turn that frown upside down? Or even worse, you don't need to feel that way, right? Right? It's like when you become a teenager or an adult, you no longer are allowed to have emotions that consist of anything other than I'm good or I'm fine or or what I use all the time, I'm tired. But when did we begin to approach the way we feel as if it's an inconvenience for ourselves and for others? When did we start burying our emotions? When did we stop putting in the time and energy to learn how to cope and grow and heal in our feelings? When did we decide that feelings were wrong? It's kind of weird. It almost makes it feel like feelings are for kids. And that reality has led many of us to a place where we are today, including myself, where we are trying to figure out what is it like to be emotionally healthy. And it sounds so dumb saying this out loud. Like, I feel like I should be surrounded by like puppets and a giant purple dinosaur just saying this, but it's okay to have feelings and emotions. 
And it's okay to talk about them and wrestle with them. And so because that is true, we're doing this series called In My Feelings, and we're diving into some of the core emotions that we feel. And we're doing that so we can learn from Jesus when it comes to how to manage them and kind of deal with them and cope with them and exist with these feelings in a healthy way. So over the past two weeks, we've talked about anger and worry. And I've heard from many of you, or I've heard stories from your small group leaders that um, that's super encouraging that so many of you are digging into these emotions and these feelings that you have and you're doing it in healthy ways. And I just wanna encourage you to keep going. But I hope the same is true for today as we dig into this emotion that I think society likes the least. And I think this is the one that we're allowed to feel the least. And it's sadness. In the same sermon where Jesus preached on anger and worry, he also talks about sadness. And he says this in Matthew 5. He says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And, and the word bless or blesses is just another word that means honor, right? God honors those who mourn through his comfort. Uh, it can also mean happy, right? God will bring happiness to people who mourn through the comfort that he offers. But that's not really how many of us feel, right? We feel like sadness and sorrow and grief and mourning are awkward, we feel like they're unacceptable, or, or maybe we feel like they're a sign of weakness. I grew up in a household with a father who was emotionally distant. Um, I think the only real emotion I ever saw from him was anger, and the emotion that he liked the least was sadness. And so his go-to lines were what many of you heard growing up, stop crying, or the ever-toxic phrase, boys don't cry. And I heard that so many times in my life because as a kid, I cried all the time. Uh, most of the time it was over dumb stuff like striking out in baseball, uh, but I cried a lot. And I heard those phrases so many times that it became ingrained on my heart and that majorly impacted my own ability to feel sadness, to mourn, to grieve. And for you, maybe it wasn't one of those phrases. I reached out to a few of my friends this week and asked them, what was it like in your house? And they said they heard this when they were sad. They heard, you're too emotional. And some of them heard, you're being dramatic, or you're making other people feel uncomfortable with those tears. Or they had parents who let them cry, but it came without comfort and care. And so if you grew up that way, you are feeling that impact today. You feel that right now. I still have a very vivid memory of being at the funeral of my great-grandmother when I was a teenager. We called her Grammy, um, and she was one of the most amazing women who ever lived. She lived to her mid-90s, she was kind and compassionate and sweet. Uh, every time we went to say goodbye, she would say, be a good boy as we left. I wasn't a good boy, but you know, it meant a lot. Um, and I loved her. I loved her so much. And I remember being at her funeral and feeling sad and wanting to cry, but then hearing the words, boys don't cry, echoing in my head. And so as a teenager, I kept it all in because I didn't know if I was allowed to feel the sadness that I felt. Talking to a counselor this week, he shared with me that our tendency to avoid sadness is almost instinctive because from a very young age, we try to avoid sad feelings even at the cost of ourselves. And this is unhealthy. And so what I want to do today is I want to dig into this emotion of sadness. I wanna learn from Jesus through the Bible about what having a healthy approach to this feeling looks like. There are certain stories about Jesus in the Bible that show his humanity in the realest ways. 
And the story we're gonna read today does just that. Now, with this story, I'm actually gonna read some. I'm kind of jump in and out of it. Um, but this week, if you're like, hey, I want to read something from the Bible, this is what I would encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to read this story in full. It's from John 11, it's verses one through 44. Um, but like I said, I'm gonna read some and kind of jump in and out. But this is how it starts in, in John 11, verse one. John writes this, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And so John starts by telling us that Jesus' friend, and this is really important, this isn't some stranger, this isn't someone who's been following from a distance, this is someone he has a personal relationship with. This is someone that Jesus is close to. This is someone that Jesus loved. And John says that, that, he, that Jesus got the message that he was not well. The story continues. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, this story in and of itself has multiple layers. And so there's a physical layer in that Jesus is actually foreshadowing, spoiler alert, the fact that he's going to physically raise Lazarus from the dead and heal him. And the people who bear witness to that will believe that he is the Son of God. They'll believe that he is the Messiah, the one sent to rescue God's people. But there's also this spiritual layer in that Lazarus's belief in Jesus as his savior will leave Lazarus physically dead one day, but in the future, he'll be spiritually alive in heaven for eternity, right? And so it's this super deep story. And so again, if you choose to read it a little bit later today, I would encourage you maybe read it twice, right? Read it from the physical perspective in one and the spiritual perspective in another, but for today, we're actually just going to focus on the physical layer of this story. So jumping ahead a little bit, after Jesus finishes doing his preaching and miraculous signs thing by the Jordan River, he tells his disciples that they're going to head to Judea to see Lazarus. And so Jesus said this. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Not gonna lie, uh, my mom told me the same thing when I was a kid about my fish. And so I totally understand their confusion on this one, right? Like he's sleeping and they're like, oh, just wake him up. And so Jesus says, hey, just, just so we're clear, Lazarus is dead. The story continues, verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Now, for those of you who are trying to do some of the math in your mind. It's been four days. Um, and so what this means is it's highly likely that by the time the message actually got to Jesus, Lazarus had already been dead because um, it was a whole day to get to where he was. But we also read, it's, it's in this part that we jumped over, that Jesus continued teaching for two days before heading to Judea, which was another day. So the message getting to him, two days of teaching, and him working his way there is four days. But that's not really what John's trying to point out. He's not trying to point out that it took Jesus some time to get there. He's not trying to point out the distance between the cities. This is what he's trying to share. In, in Jewish culture, there was a general belief that the spirit of the deceased hovered around the body for three days in anticipation of this possible means of re-entry into the body. But on the third day, it was believed that the body lost its color and the spirit was locked out forever. Therefore, the spirit had to enter the chambers of Sheol or the place of the dead. And so this passing of the third day signaled the conclusion of that last little bit of hope that Mary and Martha would have had. And that's when Jesus arrived. And so ultimately, no one believed that Lazarus was alive or could become 
alive. He was deceased and beyond life. Then in the story, Jesus reassures Martha that Lazarus will rise from the dead, again, the double meaning. And then he asks to see Lazarus. He says in verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But then this crazy thing happens. God opens up the heavens and he tells his son, stop crying. Don't be so sensitive. Boys, don't cry. Of course that didn't happen. Jesus wept. His heart was breaking for the loss of his friend. He felt sorrow and he felt grief and he felt pain because he loved Lazarus. But, but even more so, he loved Mary and Martha and saw them in their own sadness. So he wept. And he cried real tears in front of Mary and Martha. He cried real tears in front of his disciples who were his friends, but also the guys he was in charge of leading. He cried real tears in front of a crowd of strangers who had gathered to watch to see how Jesus would respond to what was going on. So if Jesus wept, so can you. And here's the first thing I would encourage you to write down today if you are, if you are taking notes. You are allowed to feel sadness. You are. You are allowed to mourn. You are allowed to grieve. You are allowed to cry. If Jesus wept, so can we. It's not a burden. It's not embarrassing. It's not a sign of lacking strength. It's not too emotional, right? I would say that Jesus is the most emotionally healthy person to ever walk this earth. Right? He was fully God and fully human. He was perfect and without sin. And the death of someone he loved broke his heart, so he cried. You are allowed to feel sadness. And listen, this is not me giving you permission to do so. This is Jesus showing us from his own life. But let's take this story a little further. This is how the story ends, starting in verse 41. It says this, So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And so check this out. Jesus knew how this story was going to end. He, he said it earlier, right? He told us earlier. He eventually tells Martha. Like he knows how this is going to play out. He already knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but that didn't stop him from feeling what he felt. Right? Jesus knew it was going to be okay, but he still wept. And I know that some of you are going through things in your life right now where you know, or at least you're pretty confident that everything's going to be okay. But that doesn't mean that you can't feel sad about what's going on right now, about how hard life is right now, about how emotionally exhausting things are right now. I also know that some of you, uh, there are things going on in your life where you don't know if it's going to be okay. Life right now is what, not what you had hoped. It's not what you've been praying for. Right? You don't know if your marriage is going to make it. You don't know if you'll ever get pregnant after trying for years. You don't know if the person you love will ever stop that destructive behavior. You just don't know. But either way, whether you know or you don't know, I am sure there are times where you think, what good is crying? Or when did tears ever solve anything? But grief and sadness aren't about solving problems. It's about feeling those emotions and allowing yourself to process that pain. It's not about bottling things up. It's not about faking it. 
One of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible comes from Ecclesiastes. Uh, This comes from Solomon. We talked about him a little bit last week. He had trillions of dollars, um, but he wasn't just loaded. He had a ton of wisdom as well. And he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3. He said, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. And he says in verse four, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance, right? Life has seasons. And sometimes those seasons feel like Maryland's seasons, right? Like what the heck is going on right now? 60 degrees on Friday, then snow. My kids asked me to go to the park on Friday and then sled on Saturday. Uh, Most mornings, my six-year-old kind of has a little bit of a breakdown because she doesn't know if she has to wear a coat or boots or she can go with like a sweater or just a t-shirt because it's just so confusing, right? It's the worst. But Solomon teaches us that life is full of these seasons. Life is composed of joy and sorrow, building and destroying, living and dying. And what he's really trying to point out is that without crying, laughing doesn't feel as good. Without grieving, dancing doesn't seem as sweet. 50 Cent said it like this. Sunny days wouldn't be special if it wasn't for rain. Joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. He stole that from Solomon. Uh, No joke, when my wife and I were first married, um, we were in our small group and we lived up in Ohio and she quoted this and I fell more in love with her that day because I had no idea that she was a fan of uh, hip hop. It's great. Uh, But what what, what 50 Cent's saying, what Solomon's saying, it's these true things that there are seasons in our lives Right? There are times in our lives where we go through things that are harder than others, that are more emotional than others. Sometimes you go through great seasons of joy, but they come on the heels of seasons of sorrow. And what Solomon is saying is, that, is that's normal. Right? That is a part of life. It is normal to go through periods of sadness and grief and joy and laughing. Psychologists have found that sadness when healthy is actually good for us to feel. Sadness can serve to remind us of what matters to us and what gives our life meaning. Sadness can fill us with appreciation for the good that we've lost. It makes us more tender, more compassionate, more empathetic. It can deepen our sense of community as we realize the people who walk alongside us in our grief. It can fill us with appreciation for the times where we don't feel as sad. And sadness can actually help heal us. Now, I do need to say this, though, because when we are emotionally unhealthy, Uh, when we don't have the tools to handle sadness, it can turn into depression very quickly. And while sadness is a natural part of life, depression can arise without a clear explanation. It it can actually result as an unhealthy reaction that we have to a painful event in our life where we either try to steal ourselves, right, where we try to be really strong and not feel the emotions, or because this thing happened and we feel overwhelmed by it. And when we feel that way, when we are in this depressed state, we don't feel sadness anymore. We feel numb or deadened to our emotions. We have these feelings of shame and self-blame and self-hatred, all of which actually interfere with healthy emotional behavior. And so if you find yourself being sad all the time, right, not being able to get out of that place or grow out of that place or heal out of that place, I just want to encourage you to talk to someone about it. There is no shame or embarrassment in this. Depression is a very real thing that a lot of people secretly struggle with. Moms, postpartum depression is very real. And when you feel that way, it doesn't mean you're a bad mom. 
It doesn't mean you're not in love with your baby. It just means you had a kid and your whole life has changed. It's been flipped upside down. You've changed mentally and emotionally, chemically and physically, right? And it might last for a season, but if it lingers, please talk to someone. Men, depression is often called the silent killer because statistics show that over 6 million men in the U.S. suffer from depression, yet male depression often goes undiagnosed. And it's not undiagnosed because doctors won't diagnose it. It's because we have been told that we can't be sad, that we have to be strong. And so what we do is we suppress these feelings of pain. We suppress these feelings of sorrow to the point of being numb, of not feeling anything anymore to the point of depression. And so men, please talk to someone. Teenagers, I know you have a whole host of emotions going on inside of you right now, and you have no idea what they mean or why that's happening to you. You will get out of that season eventually. But if you are feeling stuck, talk to someone. And so my point is this, and this is really Solomon's point when it comes to sadness. If the season of sadness and grieving doesn't seem to end, please talk to someone about how you're feeling. Because seasons are a natural part of life. But if you never get out of those seasons you might need some help. You you might need people to talk to. So moms, find another mom that you can be real with and vulnerable with about uh, your experience and so that they can empathize uh, with yours. Men, find another man that you trust and grab a beer or two if that's what what it takes and tell them what you're struggling with. Students, talk to one of our youth collective leaders here so you aren't going through this alone. When you feel stuck in those places, find a safe person Right? Seek out counseling, seek out professional help, seek out other people so you can have a conversation with. So the first thing to understand today is that you are allowed to feel sadness. And there will be seasons in your life where this is the core emotion that you feel. Right? It's okay to feel grief at the loss of a loved one when you lose a job, when you see what's going on in the world, when you realize that the trauma you experience has a negative impact on who you are and your relationships and your faith. It is okay to grieve. But here's the second part of this. And this is less about our emotions, but the emotions of other people. We have to get to a place where other people's sadness and grieving doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. Because being emotionally healthy when it comes to sadness means that we can sit with them in their pain. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Job, and Job suffers unbelievable loss. Uh, And this is a very complicated story, but I'm going to try to sum it up pretty quickly. Um, But God says this about Job in Job 1.8. He says, Job is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And in the story of Job's life, Satan actually tests his faith in God by taking away everything that Job loves. Takes away his family, his career, his livelihood, all of it. And Job grieves. In fact, in Job 1, it says, this is how he responded to that. It says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He he wept, he grieved, he mourned, he felt those feelings. He didn't bottle them up inside. They were very expressive. But what I really want to point out is what happened when his friends showed up. In Job 2, verse 11, it says, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. And their names were, you know what, you can just read those. Those are too hard. Uh, I tried the other day, butchered them. Uh, So their names were those guys. um, And when they saw Job from a distance, 
they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that this suffering was too great for words. Right? Look at what Job's friends did. They grieved the way Job did. They tore their clothes. They cried out to God. And for seven days and nights, they sat with Job in his suffering. So here's the second thing about sadness that I want us to hold on to. Other people are allowed to feel sadness. And we are told to sit with them in their pain. Not solve their pain, not try to talk them out of it, not ignore them until they're done feeling what they're feeling. We are told, especially if you follow Jesus, we are told to sit and empathize. We're told to feel the sorrow that they're feeling. And that only happens if we are emotionally healthy when it comes to our own grief and sadness doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. Romans 12, 15 says this, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from one of the church planters that I coach named Kevin. Some of you met Kevin last summer. Uh, he preached here in flip-flops and shorts. He isn't allowed to come back because of that. Um, because so many of you commented on his feet. And I thought, well, we'll never see him again. Um, but he called me a few weeks ago because someone in his church um, had suffered a miscarriage, right? And their church is about nine months old. And he, he called me and he said he didn't know what to do. Right? He didn't know what to say. And so I told him he just needed to be with them. Right? He needed to cancel his meetings for the day, grab his wife, grab some food, and just be with them. Because I've found through years of walking alongside people in their pain that when I try to fix things, and I'm a fixer, but when I try to fix things, I only make it worse. And when I finally learned how to be comfortable around other people in their pain, it made me realize that that's really all they want in that moment. Right? They just want to be comforted. They don't want to be told how to fix things or what we would do if we were them. They just want us to be simply present and felt. Right? Other people are allowed to feel sadness, and when emotionally healthy, we can sit with them in their grief. I mentioned earlier that the story of Lazarus had a physical layer and a spiritual layer. Um, well, sadness does as well. There's this physical layer in that we're allowed to feel sadness, and when we do, God comforts us here on earth through his presence in our life, right? through the Holy Spirit. Uh, he comforts us through his words in the Bible. He comforts us through community in the church, but there's actually a spiritual layer as well that goes well beyond the here and now. You see, Jesus actually came to take away our sadness. It just won't happen here on earth. It doesn't matter how much you love God, bad things that bring sadness will still happen. Job is proof of that, right? But here's the most important thing to take away for today about sadness. Right? There is good news that Jesus came to take away our sadness for all eternity. Revelation 21.4 says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And so please hear me as I say this. Jesus experienced sadness. This was a re very real emotion that he felt and so do we. But that isn't a feeling that he wants us to feel forever. So he gives us heaven he gives us eternity with him. And this is the only place where we are truly free from sorrow and grief and pain. And the only way that we get to experience this is through Jesus. It doesn't happen in this lifetime and it won't happen on earth. 
It only happens when we physically die and we spiritually live on forever in heaven, right? And I know, and, and I feel this way all the time. I would rather not experience death and sorrow and crying and pain right now. Like that's my preference. And I'm assuming that's your preference as well. But the best way I can explain that, this is that this life is such a small piece of the puzzle. It's such a small piece of this eternity that we have the opportunity to be with God with. But the only way we experience that is choosing Jesus, is to put your faith in him, is to let him be the leader and savior of your life. And CT mentioned it earlier, uh, just in a few moments, we're gonna celebrate Mark as he's baptized. And one of the reasons why we celebrate is because what he's choosing here in this life, like choosing God as his leader in his life, choosing God's way over his own, but another reason why we celebrate is because he's choosing this eternity that God has created for us where there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow. And ultimately, it's just the joy of worshiping God all the time. And so if that is something that you are longing for, right? If you are longing for a place where there is no sorrow, I would love to tell you that getting baptized means you won't feel it here on this earth, but you will, right? Life is hard and, and following God doesn't change that. It changes our perspective. It gives us a little bit more hope, but it will still be hard. But the only way you will ever get to a place of not experiencing that pain and sorrow that you don't want to feel is by putting your faith in Jesus. And you'll experience that in eternity. And so just like Mark did a few weeks ago, we encourage people when they are ready to take that step to check the, digital, uh, the baptism box on your digital connection card. Right? It's not a commitment to anything. It's not saying you're gonna get in the tub next week. It's just saying, hey, we wanna have a conversation with you about what does it look like to put your faith in Jesus and follow him. And that leads to the life that he has for us. In his book, A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, I thought I could describe a state or make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out to be not a state, but a process. Right? Sadness and sorrow and grieving and mourning are a process that Jesus experienced. It's a process that God comforts us through. It's a process where we are called to walk alongside others as they experience it. But we do all of that while holding on to the hope and joy of knowing that when we put our faith in Jesus, that sorrow and that sadness and that grief won't last forever. Let's pray. God, I think of all the emotions um, that we feel and really of all the emotions that we're aware of, sadness is probably the one we struggle with the most. God, because at some point in our life, we were told not to feel that way anymore. Right, that being mature, um, whether that's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, being mature means you don't cry. Uh, but God, we read this story where you even knew the outcome of how it was gonna play out uh, and you wept. You wept because you loved Lazarus. You wept uh, because of Mary and Martha's pain. You wept because of what was going on uh, in your world in that moment. And so God, we take that uh, and we see that and we understand that as permission for ourselves uh, to weep, to feel sorrow, to feel sadness, not bottle it up, not push it down, uh, not numb ourselves to the point of depression, not, not take ourselves out of those moments so that we don't make it feel uh, inconvenient or uncomfortable for others, God, but we lean in and we feel that very real emotion that you created and you allow us to feel, um, and God, that one that helps us heal. So God, I pray this week um, that we wrestle with this, God, I know everybody here has a different perspective on it and, and um, their childhood or you know, the books they read as a kid or whatever it may be has brought them to a different place. But God, ultimately, I feel like uh, 
no matter what place they're in, the prayer is that they, they move back toward you to being emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy uh, and really, God, just following your lead. And God, above everything, uh, we just give thanks for the fact that you created an opportunity for us not to feel that pain anymore. God gave us the opportunity that we could spend eternity with you, an eternity that's so much better than anything this world has to offer. So God, above everything, I pray that we, we lean into that. We pursue that, we look toward that. Because, God, that is so much better than what we're experiencing here. God, we thank you for loving us. Um, thank you for teaching us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.